Welcome to Star Wars Age of Rebellion. This is an RPG Storytime presentation of a campaign played over several years utilizing all three Star Wars role-playing books by Fantasy Flight Games. This is a grand campaign where everything you hear was decided by players in an epic-scale role-playing and strategy game, then turned into this production that tells the story one chapter at a time with occasional explanations of game mechanics. The episodes are shorter than most gaming podcasts because each session is summarized in the form of a story much like an audiobook. It begins with a small band of agents played by a few role players. As the rebel cell grows, more players are brought in to take on the roles of other operatives heading out on other missions and taking part in various battles. Every choice affects the direction of the story, both for the characters on the mission and for the overall story arc. And the ultimate fate of the Juvex and Senex sectors is up to them. The rebel base of the Juvex Sector had been building ever since its core members had been rescued from an Imperial base by the team of Huff, Valena, and Vresh. Under the leadership of General Maros Cloudman, they had expanded their underground bunker and grown their number of operatives. These operatives had gone on multiple missions stealing supplies from the Empire and raiding their bases. But the most important missions were diplomatic. The Juvex Sector was made up of five independent sovereignties known as Houses. The Empire left them alone because they would be too much trouble to conquer, and they ruled their systems much the same way that the Empire itself would oversee them. General Cloudman happened to know that the Empire was planning to clamp down on the sector. It was mostly because of his rebel cell, but the Houses didn't need to know that, and he sent diplomatic envoys to speak with two of them, Houses Casido and Kellerman. Their pitch was that the Houses could supply the Rebellion with resources to fight off the Empire for them. That way, they could hold on to their sovereignties without getting their own hands dirty. The rebels had a bonus in dealing with House Casito, as Huff Facet had... <clears throat> made contact with Princess Lyra of that house. She facilitated the meetings, and they went well. The meetings with House Kellerman went well also. But there was a catch. The local houses all practiced slavery. The operatives on the missions didn't like that they were making deals with slavers. But they succeeded in their missions. They also made contact with some slaves who had escaped their masters and hid on a world called Thurman. Both houses used the rebels to help locate these escaped slaves, and they moved in on the world. This led to a three-way war between the houses and the escaped slaves. The rebels secretly dealt with all three of them, drawing supplies from the houses and covertly helping slaves escape. The ex-slaves became soldiers fighting for them, and the resources were used to build ships. The Empire, too, was beginning to reinforce the sector, bringing in more ground units and fighters, and even Star Destroyers. Then came the most difficult betrayal. The Empire aided a coup within House Casido and turned it against the Rebellion, leaving House Kellerman as their only ally. By this time, the Rebel bases in the Senex Sector had been built, and Cloudman was told that the Alliance had a plan to attack another nearby sector. The part his cell would play in the coming conflict would be to draw as much attention into his sector as possible so the Empire would pull resources away from the Alliance's main target. Cloudman knew that the best way to do this would be to mobilize his military and rejoin the fight openly alongside Kellerman. Cloudman knew that the best way to do this would be to mobilize his military and join the fight openly alongside Kellerman. This would be an uphill battle of attrition as their enemies would be the Empire, House Casido, and one of the other houses, McCoon that had been convinced to join them. Additionally, the rebels' ex-slave military would not fight alongside slavers, so Cloudman personally led a mission to House Kellerman's capital to convince them to fight openly with the rebellion, and to free their slaves. 
It was a tall order, to be sure. But this was made easier when yet another house, Srethan, whom Kellerman had thought was their ally, was found to be plotting to stab them in the back. Cloudman's team was able to prove their betrayal, and Kellerman, feeling like the Alliance was their only hope of survival, freed their slaves on the promise they would help defend their planets. But as the three houses moved in on Kellerman, the Empire made its move on the rebel base. They had located it when they captured a rebel droid, and General Veers was brought in to crush the base. Cloudman raced back to evacuate the stronghold, and a mighty delaying action was fought on the ground while the fighter craft punched a hole in the blockade so the transports could get through. The rebels lost a quarter of their forces, and House Kellerman was reduced to having only their capital planet. To make matters worse, the Empire had also moved on the Senex rebel base at the same time, so everyone was scattered. But General Cloudman had planned ahead. Between the twin sectors was a nebula called Thull's Shroud. He had provided coordinates to his most trusted commanders a place within the nebula where they could regroup. To make matters a little better, Aylor Sundown's team, which had traveled through the Juvex base a few days before it was attacked, had made contact with a group of ex-slaves that called themselves the Revolutionaries. They had risen up against House Casito and won. They now controlled their homeworld of Diol and Thurman, and they were assaulting Casito worlds to free slaves. Princess Lyra, who had been rescued by some of the daring rebel operatives, predicted that General Barazan, who now ruled Casito, would be too arrogant to defend against the revolutionaries, leaving only garrisons to hold them off while he went in to finish off Kellerman. She was right, and the revolutionaries managed to take Casito's capital. General Cloudman did his best to help defend the one remaining Kellerman world, but he mostly arranged for the evacuation of as many of their soldiers as possible so they could join the rebel cause. Cloudman also sent his diplomats to the one remaining unaligned house, Straco. They were heavily dependent upon droids, even using a droid army from the time of the Clone Wars. Their queen, Lania Straco, was most afraid of losing her own amenities. So the rebel diplomats spread conspiracy theories and convinced her that the Empire was coming to take away her favorite activity, the games at the Colosseum. They would be using their puppet, House Srethan. She provided them with two capital ships and a legion of B-1 battle droids. She then set her sights on destroying House Srethan. At the very least, this took one of their enemies out of the battle. An investigation into House McCoon learned that they were satisfied with what they had taken from Kellerman. An investigation into House McCoon learned that they were satisfied with what they had taken from Kellerman, so all the houses were no longer a threat in the sector. The revolutionaries had freed some of the rebel operatives from one of the slave camps and sent them to the hiding location within Thull's Shroud. Cloudman saw that among them was a droid. Aware that this was how the Empire had found their base, he knew they would be on their way, so he set up a trap. The Imperial Star Destroyers flew in tight formation through the nebula, focused in on a cluster of transports right at the coordinates they had expected. They had an interdictor which would keep them from escaping. This was going to be easy. But then two rebel corvettes and a frigate appeared out of the mist right in front of the interdictor. They concentrated their fire on the specialized Star Destroyer. The Imperials sent their fighters, but they were intercepted by rebel squadrons. The other two Star Destroyers slowly made their way around, but they were ambushed by a pair of droid-run battleships from House Straco. The exchange of fire left one Star Destroyer and one droid ship crippled. The Imperial command ship saw that the interdictor was also destroyed and decided it was time to leave. But the rebel ships were closing in on its rear now, and the Star Destroyer could not go to light speed in the nebula, so they caught up with it and destroyed it. Their infantry, meanwhile, was on the attack. Jarn Katarn, who had joined them along with the other Synex rebels, had picked up the target, 
Diminol, the planet where Elor had first been kidnapped by Rixar Traun, and they had first become aware of Project Lifeseed. The planet had been too well guarded to attack before, but those ships were attacking the nebula, and the rebel ground forces were now strong enough to make an assault. They had ex-slaves and armored troopers from House Kellerman, commandos from the Alliance and droids from House Draco, and they had their regular troopers from the base. Duke, Wynn, and the others of their squad would have joined them, but they were busy locating Dr. Thagro's headquarters. They were reserving the Aquellans and the troops they had gathered in the Senex sector for the attack that would come when they found it. General Cloudman led the army, and Jarn teamed up with the commando leader, Scratchel Wilcha, to infiltrate the base where all the experimentation had been done. Their goal was twofold, to steal the information gathered at the base, and to destroy their systems with a virus. Scratchel had a device that, once plugged into the computer, could do both. General Cloudman made a feint attack at the front while his real attack came at a rear entrance hidden in the woods. He set up snipers to provide covering fire while the infantry moved in. The droids would push through the center while Kellerman troopers marched up each flank to test the defenses. The rest of the infantry would come up behind them to exploit any weakness. On the left, they were stopped by an ATSD and stormtroopers. The droids in the center were hit with a large mutant beast, one of the experiments of the base. On the right, though, they found their weakness, and the commandos were able to press forward. As the Imperials rushed their reserves to plug up the hole, Jarn and Scratchel made their run for the door. Stormtroopers who had been pushing at the rebel left flank turned on them, and Jarn lashed at them while Scratchel hotwired the door to get it open. When it did, they were faced by two women wielding light whips, two of Rixar's servitors, standing on each side of a console. Smiles were spread across their faces. They looked similar, not only in clothes, but in their faces as well. Jarn wondered if they were siblings. It was no matter. They readied their light whips, so Jarn did the same, standing in front of Scratchel. I will deal with them, he said, and he leaped at the servitor to his left. It was one who had been seen during the attack on the Juvex rebel base. She smiled. This was just what she wanted him to do. She snapped her whip, but he dodged through it and swung at her. She nimbly dodged out of the way and wound up her whip for another blow, then rolled up to the control panel and slammed her data stick into it. This would feed the virus into the machine and pull out the information they needed. The servitor wound up behind her, about to strike. Jarn rolled out of the way of the servitor in front of him, and she brought her whip down, just missing him. He raised his hand at the other one, about to strike Scratchel, and he forced pulled her to himself. She flew through the air at him, and he swung straight through her belly. The top half landed on the other servitor, who held her in shock, and watched the life fade from her eyes. Rage boiled over in her face, which turned as red as her light whip. She glared at Jarn, who was in a guardian stance by Scratchel. She was waiting for the data stick to reveal it was done. The servitor roared with rage, and she force-pulled Jarn. He was ready for it, so he only stumbled a couple feet. But it was close enough for her whip. She swung once, twice, and a third time, very quick for the use of a whip. Jarn tried to get in a swing, but he was having to spend all of his energy dodging. He also needed to stay between the servitor and Scratchel. Finally, the data stick beeped, and Scratchel pulled it out. The servitor reached out her hand to force-pull it to her, but Jarn used that momentum to attack her. She had to abort her pull and instead switch a light whip setting, which caused it to suck in and become a short, stiff saber. She blocked his blows. Then she pulled out a second short saber and lit it as well. This one came out green, which confused Jarn for a moment. He didn't have time to think on it. Scratchel ran out the front door shouting, Come on! Jarn forced pulled the servitor back a couple steps, and he leaped to the door, then ran outside. There, the entire rebel force was pulling out. They had accomplished their mission and also made a heavy dent in the Imperial garrison, but little more could be accomplished. 
Scratchell found Cloudman hobbling, injured. She grabbed one side of him and helped him to the transport. Jarn looked back as they went, spotting the servitor standing in the doorway. Her green lightsaber was still lit, and her eyes watched him with pure hate. They would meet again. He was sure of it. This has been an RPG Storytime presentation of Age of Rebellion. Join us next week to hear what happens next. If you'd like to see a visualization of this episode, check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. If you'd like to see other things written by the author of this show, you can also find that in the description. Happy gaming, everybody!